Hi, I'm Lanise Brothers, a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and menstrual cycle coach, and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well being practice. This is the Period Story Podcast, where in each episode, I sit down with a guest to talk about their period story. We get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods and so much more. Now, on to today's guest. Welcome to season four of the Period Story Podcast. For the first episode of the season, I'm so excited to have Alice Rose on the show, just in time for Fertility Awareness Week here in the UK. Alice is a fertility advocate, speaker, and consultant. After her own experience of 11 rounds of fertility treatment to conceive a daughter and one round of treatment for a baby boy who was born in February this year, she supports and empowers others through her Instagram community at This Is Alice Rose, the Fertility Life Ride podcast, and through live events with her business partner, Kat. Welcome to the show, Alice. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I am so thrilled to be here. I'm really excited to have this chat. So let's just get into the first question that I always ask, which is tell me the story of your very first period. Can you remember it? I can remember it. So I was 13 and I had wanted to have my period for a while because my friends had started getting their periods and I was like, Oh, I really want to, I want to, I want to, I want to be a woman, you know? And, um, finally one day it happened, but I, I mean, the, the actual memory is quite hazy, but the things that are really clear to me is how I felt about it. And I remember feeling quite excited, um, but also quite embarrassed. Like I was quite, I, I, and it's funny, isn't it? Because actually I'm one of four girls. So I've got, two older sisters and um, a younger one. And I've got a good relationship with my mum. And, you know, she's the kind of mum who's really open and she'll be very, you know, she's quite um, she's a little bit eccentric, maybe even. And yet, when it came to things like periods, we still didn't really have open conversations about it. So I felt quite um, like I didn't know how to bring it up with my mum. But I felt like I, like I needed to tell her because I needed some period products. Um, <laughs> so I just remember writing this really awkward little note and leaving it on her bed. To say, I think I've got my period, mummy. Um, uh, something like that. And then she wrote me one back and left it on my bed with some pads that she dug out from somewhere. But I really remember her saying, Oh, um, I try, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit difficult because because we I was brought up in the country, so it wasn't like we could pop down to the corner shop like you know I would do now. I live in a city, um, so she was like, I had to sort of like find these. I know I don't know why she didn't just ask my sisters. Like I don't, and in fact, she must have had loads of stuff lying around at that point because this was a long time ago now. So it just baffles me when I think, what were we doing sending each other these little notes? Like, why didn't she just come and knock on my door and have a conversation about it? <laughs> it's really funny. And it just makes me think, gosh, maybe, you know, as as kind of open as I thought we were, maybe, maybe we actually weren't, because I do think there was this kind of um, a bit of shame around it. And I did, I felt embarrassed and I felt, you know, and and the actual period that I got was a little bit, um like it wasn't it didn't feel like a proper one so I almost was like oh is this it or is it not it I wasn't really quite sure 
So I didn't, I, it was all very, it was all a bit confusing and a bit embarrassing. That was, that's my memory of my first period. <laughs> it's quite sweet that, that you, you pass notes to each other. I know that you say, what, what were we doing? But it's kind of, kind of a sweet memory that your mum, she kind of met your energy with the same energy. Um, and it's kind of a sweet thing to do. Very sweet. Looking back, you know, and, and, that kind of sums her up a lot, actually. And she is, she she does do that. And she, she obviously realised that that's how I felt comfortable, you know, talking about it. So so she was like, okay, we'll do notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said that there was this level of almost, not discomfort, but, you know, it was maybe shame. You didn't really talk about it openly. So how did you, after you got your first period, how did you then learn what was happening to your body? So I think I knew, you know, biologically, I understood what was going on. I understood um, why we got periods. And because close friends of mine um, had already got theirs, I actually went to them. Like that's, that's where I, I don't know why I didn't talk to my older sisters. I mean, we've got really good relationships, but still within the family, I don't know why it just wasn't really done. And, you know, now we have much more open um conversations now we're kind of all grown up but yeah at the time it was my friends and I really remember really clearly actually my uh, one of my best friends talking me through how to use a tampon and I was sitting in the loo and she was outside and she literally told me you know open the thing do this do that and she just kind of talked me through it and I've got and that's a really again like quite a sweet intimate little memory that I've got there and I remember coming up being like oh I'm really quite proud of myself and um you know it's a bonding thing isn't it between girls I think when you go through this and it it felt it does, it just sort of almost feels like a, a bit of an, an initiation into this new um era of our lives so yeah that's that was that was quite sweet as well and then when you went into school were there open conversations with your friends and then um with the school about periods that you were getting through um like maybe lessons and then uh, school year conversations so there were definitely open conversations within my friendship group um but again what happened with my period is that I never got regular cycles um which led on to my uh, fertility problems later in life which of course is what I focus on now but my periods were always completely erratic they never followed the kind of textbook thing so again I kind of felt a little bit awkward and embarrassed about that because we weren't really taught about that in school you know we what we were taught was that this is what happens every 28 days this is what happens to a woman's body and my my body wasn't doing that my body was doing something all of its own um and I sort of again felt a little bit embarrassed about talking about what was going on for me within my friendship group because no one else seemed to be having these problems I'm sure they were underneath it all you know there must have been someone else within my group who was going through it but I I, you know my close friends you know the ones that I did have open conversations with um were just were just having periods like like you know people do so yeah that was that so when you realized that the the periods you were having were irregular what did you do what did you try to do about it 
I don't remember ever being terribly active in trying to sort it out in terms of getting to the bottom of it. What I remember doing is going on the pill because that's what everyone was doing. Um, (laughs) So it was more about regulating my period actually than anything else. And I I think I started on it when I was 16. Um, And then because it, regulated my periods I kind of forgot about the fact that my I I never had regular ones before I went on it you know and I just sort of it was like putting a plaster over something isn't it you know you Mm. just go okay fine that's working now lovely don't need to worry about that but really I hadn't actually got to the bottom of why it was so irregular and erratic anyway um so I just I just carried on I just took the pill for for years and years and years as as kind of all of my friends were doing and there almost wasn't it almost wasn't even really a question of it. It was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll just go on the pill. You know, we, there's, and now there's so much more information about what people sometimes have reactions to and different kind of pills and all the different kind of contraceptions available. Actually, a friend of mine um, has a platform called the, the Lowdown. I think it's called the Lowdown or the Down Low. <laughs> the the, low, the Lowdown. Do you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so Ali is... Um, um uh, actually a friend of my sister's and she set that up and I I just think it's brilliant because there was nothing like that before was there to kind of help women choose what contraception was correct or that would work for them there just wasn't anything like that when we were growing up so yeah just went on the pill periods were you know regular because of that they weren't real periods though were they that's the Mm. thing (laughs) Mm. (laughs) like pretend ones didn't actually do anything so yeah I, it was not 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 very sensible, really. Well, you did the best with what you knew at the time, and when you then decided that it was time to come off of the pill, talk us through what provoked that change, and then what happened with your periods then. So I got married and decided to start trying for a baby. Um, so I had been on the pill all of that time up until I was 30 I think about 30 31 such a long time thinking about it taking those um drugs oh my goodness anyway um came off the pill um because I wanted to try for a baby and went to my GP to say I'm gonna come off the pill now I didn't ever have regular periods before I went on the pill should we maybe investigate what's going on um, like straight away? Because I I sort of had my organized hat on and I was like, I think I might have problems conceiving actually, you know, when I'd grown up and realized that it probably wasn't great that my periods were so erratic. Um, and she sent me straight away to, to actually have a scan and have a little bit of an investigation, which was really good. And then when I came off the pill, my periods um, were totally erratic again. So very irregular. Um, My hormones went crazy, actually. When I first came off the pill, I had a really bad reaction hormonally. So my skin went crazy. um, And yeah, I didn't, it it definitely had affected me way more than I had realized. You know, that little pill that I was taking had, had a huge impact on my body's balance and everything so yeah it was it was but it felt it kind of felt quite now looking back it felt good to get rid of it go back to the basics and try to actually uncover what was happening in my body and 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 why and how how I could help it 
I mean, I could carry on talking here, Lenise, but I'm going to stop because I feel like <laughs> I should wait for because I really could just, yeah, there's so much to say about this, but please, please get, ask me more questions. <laughs> when you say that you, you want to go back to the basics, talk about what those basics were. I suppose what I mean by that and what I, what I meant by that was that I wanted to work out what was really going on. I wanted to work out why was my body not doing what I was taught in the textbooks at school that it should do. Um, and when I say erratic, I really do mean, you know, they were, they were wild. They were like up to a hundred days. I wouldn't have anything or, you know, even when I started on fertility treatment, I started taking the ovulation drug Clomid and the first time I took it, I did have a textbook 28 day cycle. And I thought, amazing, you know, this has fixed me. I'll be pregnant in no time. Brilliant. But then I didn't get pregnant that month. I had ovulated, but I didn't get pregnant. And then the next time I took it, um, nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. I didn't ovulate. I didn't get a period. And I was so confused. And I went back to um, the gynae who had put me on it in the first place. I was like, I haven't haven't had a period. You know, it's been days and days now. What's going on? So she scanned me and had a look at what was going on internally on my follicles and everything. And she was like, yeah, it doesn't look like you've responded at all to the to the treatment. You haven't ovulated. I think you're going to need IVF. And that was like a bombshell, you know, because I was like, huh, what? I thought I just needed to take this little drug here and then my periods would regulate and then I would get you know, pregnant. That was what I thought was going to happen. Um, and it just didn't. So I seem to have a very... Um, yeah and and again it was it was that feeling of like my body isn't doing what it's supposed to do even when I'm taking these drugs it still wasn't doing it and that continued all the way through my fertility treatment I was really um sometimes I would respond sometimes I wouldn't respond and it was just the most frustrating thing in the world and so difficult you know especially when you're trying to you know move on move on move on and you constantly feel so stuck because your body is just not doing what it's supposed to do and you do you feel a bit broken you feel like a failure because you're just thinking why why is this you know so easy for everyone else they just buy these little ovulation kit things you get the smiley face oh you've ovulated great now go and have sex but I couldn't even get to that point <laughs> you know it just wasn't it just wasn't happening so the the periods were um yeah just just very confusing to me did they ever try to get to what the the root cause of the irregular cycles might be so that's what happened after I'd been told by that gynae that I should have IVF I felt like that was a really big leap from what I was been had been doing and exactly as you say I was like yeah but what's going on like I want to I need more information I don't feel like jumping straight to that that is the correct thing to do. So I went and had a second opinion and that was brilliant because she sat me down. She said, I think you might have, you know, I think you've got polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, You aren't a typical, you don't present in a typical PCOS uh, manner, but I think you've got enough of the, the symptoms to suggest that that's what's going on. So then she taught me through lifestyle factors and changes that I could make. She explained to me about insulin resistance that can happen with PCOS and talked me through diet and nutrition and all of these different things. So I left that appointment feeling really kind of excited that I was going to be able to impact what was happening to my body and understanding it so much more. And it felt really, really empowering and quite, um, yeah, I was quite motivated after that. 
So I, and I, I'm like quite a, I'm quite a good girl. Like I like to stick to the rules. If someone's told me something that's going to work, I go, right, okay, here's my template, my little recipe. I'm going to just do exactly as they tell me. And then that will work. So I, I followed it to the letter. She was like, right, no sugar, this, that, and the other, you know, she gave me this kind of plan. At first I just like cried my eyes out because I thought, well, I can't get pregnant and now I can't have a piece of cake. Like that sucks. What the hell? And I felt really, I felt really angry about it. And I felt really frustrated and it was just felt really rubbish. And I, d- I just felt quite hungry, actually. I just, <laughs> I didn't understand. I didn't understand how to eat in the way that she was telling me might have an impact on my cycles. So I actually had a nutritionist consultation because I thought, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I need somebody to help me. And that was brilliant. Like I, I, I thought that was really, if I may say so, <laughs> quite a smart move because it helped me to, you know, reaching out and getting that support and going to somebody who did really understand, who'd made their livelihood understanding was actually really helpful. And um, she sort of, you know, gave me all these recipes. And then I started to get, again, quite excited about it because I was like, okay, there's like all these different ways I can embrace what's happening to me instead of fighting it. So that's what I started to do. And um, it did have an impact. Um, uh, It had an impact on me as a whole person. The periods, again, I mean, it's hard to say what was going on because um, once I started to make all these diet and lifestyle changes, I was also doing a lot of mental health well-being kind of self-coaching stuff. I was also having um, fertility treatment as well. So it was a kind of like, you know, I was coming at it from all angles. And (laughs) to try and holistically get my body to do what I needed it to do. Um, And (laughs) while it started to respond in terms of, you know, I was having, I would then began to have periods, um, I still wasn't getting pregnant. So I did end up having IVF even after 10 rounds of, of treatment. And then I did, and then I had success with IVF. Um, But yeah, with, with periods, after I had my first baby, and I'm going to make a leap here, if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I had Matilda, and then I breastfed her for 10 months. And when I stopped, my periods arrived and just started happening like they're supposed to. And I was like, oh, is this, this is, this is what people were just experiencing all of those years when I was trying everything under the sun to just get my body to do this. And then it just started doing it. And I was amazed that I didn't have to, you know, eat a special diet and take pills and do supplements and have acupuncture and everything under the sun that I was trying to just get my body to have a period. It just was doing it by itself. It was amazing. So just go back a little bit to the 11 rounds. Oh, sorry, it's 10 rounds. Was it 10 or 11? 10 unsuccessful and okay. then one one successful round of IVF. So that that will take quite a physical and emotional toll on your body. So for listeners who might be going through the same thing right now, who are going through IVF or are thinking about it, can you talk a little bit about the support that you were able to put together to get you through this process? And also, can you talk about how long this process was for you? Sure. So in terms of the actual time period, because I was really proactive and impatient, <laughs> it 
it sort of started straight away. And I, I went into fertility treatment itself, really, about, you know, just literally the, the months that I wanted to start trying because I went to the GP straight away. I then had, um, oh, they also found a fibroid. Um, so anyone not listening, that's a growth in the uterus. So I, I, they found that and they said to me, that might get in the way when you're trying to conceive. Do you want us to get rid of it? And I was like, well, yeah, if it's going to get in the way, <laughs> let's get rid of it. So we had, um, I had an operation to remove that first. So it really was kind of straight in. Most people will be trying for quite a while before they get to that point. But because I was presenting with symptoms immediately, um, I just I just went straight there. So all in all, that whole experience, those 11 rounds was two years and two months, which actually is not that long when it comes to a fertility journey. Most, most people will have a longer experience than that. Mm. Um, but the intensity of what was happening was really a lot to deal with and emotionally you know it took its toll and um I really I really believe that the way I got through that was to reframe what was happening to me and I did that through um I like to say self-coaching because I feel like that's what happened in the end and the the, the route into that the gateway into being able to self-coach myself was by doing something called the artist way which was a, a it's a course but it's just in a book so I had somebody had given me this book and it sat on my shelf this whole time and while I was going through all of these failed rounds of treatment and feeling so frustrated and upset and alone and left behind and stuck and I mean it's horrendous um I felt like I needed to do something to take me out of that experience so I started to do this this course and it's it's a course in rediscovering your creative self or something like that and I was I was at the time I was an actor and um so it was all it really appealed to me this this ability you know to reconnect to who I was so I started doing that and and it it had a huge huge impact on my mental health my well-being my motivation everything changed my outlook changed and at the same time as that as I said I was kind of coming at this from all angles so I was seeing an acupuncturist um, and originally that was to help with my fertility but what I now see in hindsight was that it was just this huge support it was like going to therapy and it was you know, blissful going to see her because it took me out of my body for a moment and someone else was holding me and taking care of me. And that was so important as well. I was also referred to um, a fertility counsellor through my NHS clinic, which was absolutely amazing. So I really advocate seeking support for anybody going through this as well. Um, if you can just, you know, find find that support and find specialist support because it was really helpful to sit there and she knew exactly what I was talking about when I was talking about Clomid or these feelings that I was going through. You know, she really did understand. And I later found out she understood on a personal level as well because she was actually going through it herself. Um, you know, while I was seeing her, she was also experiencing it. Um, so those are the those are the things. So it was the self-coaching, it was the uh, support that I had, but it was also the lifestyle changes that I made because, you know, the nutritional stuff and the and the the, the healthy lifestyle that I I was leading to try to get my body to help me ended up having a really positive effect on my mental well being as well because my moods were were a bit more balanced. You know, I had way more energy. I just felt really good, and that's not something you hear very much when you when you hear people talking about going through infertility. Um, 
And I, I really want to caveat that by saying it was still really, really hard. You know, I still felt the pain and the grief every time my cycle didn't work. I still wanted to be a mum more than anything else. But in between those those periods of, of mourning, really, and grief every time something didn't work, I felt good. I felt good about myself. I felt good about my life. Um, and I'm talking, you know, I'm talking really passionately about this because this really is it's my raison d'etre, really, Lenise. Like, I really want to try and help others find that. I want to help others find that that sort of reframe and um, the idea that you can actually experience some joy and and some success and and peace in your life, even while you also go through that pain. Um, So yeah, in a nutshell, not really a nutshell, a long long (laughs) answer, but that's what would happen to me. Listening to your story and I've heard and stories that I've heard from other women, either clients or women that I've spoken to, what always strikes me is how much they go through how much you you've gone through um to have a baby and it's just this journey and so this something that you want so badly that I always get this sense that from other women I've spoken to that you would do anything to make that happen Mm -hmm. and I often think about what happens after the baby so you get the baby and then you have the whole everything physically and emotionally that you're dealing with postpartum Mm -hmm. plus caring for a brand new tiny little baby but then also dealing with all some of the trauma of having all had all of this done to your body can you just talk a little bit about that yes such a good point and so so important and um I feel that it is absolutely imperative that emotional well-being and mindset work is actually up there as the highest priority when you're going through fertility stuff. And the the thing is that, yes, you are so desperate and you just want to do anything. And that was absolutely me. You know, I was... I just wanted to get to the end result. I just wanted to have a baby. And I didn't really, you know, I didn't want to slow down and work on my mindset. I didn't want to slow down and do a gratitude practice. I just wanted to have a blooming baby like like everyone else was doing um but what I learned through this whole process was that actually you know once once you do get to that stage and you do get pregnant and you do have the baby your emotional and mental health is just so so important and the more in touch with who you are and what you need on any given day the better able you're going to be to be able to manage that period and to to be able to manage that trauma that is 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 with you um you know and lots of people who uh, are in my community have also been through loss they've been through incredibly traumatic experiences or they might have had a traumatic birth um which really does stay with you as well my first birth was was um quite traumatic and i recently had some birth trauma counseling um before i had my second baby this year in February so trauma is a really um important part of um of of all of this to process and to recognize as you rightly say and I think that validation is just so huge for anyone experiencing um a difficult road to parenthood you know to validate how incredibly hard it is and that you do you try everything I mean you literally would go out in the garden and do a dance under the full moon holding 10 crystals in your hand if someone told you that was going to work you would do it you don't even care you don't care what you look like you don't care what people think you're like this is going to work I'm going to do it I need I've got to have my baby and it's um 
it's all it's all consuming and you know it's it's very and it impacts every area of your life so and the trauma as you say on your body your physicality I think women just kind of go well this is what needs to happen so I'm just going to put myself through it and me and my body are just going to have to cope and actually we really need to take care of ourselves we need to take care of our of our bodies and our hearts and our souls and our minds holistically to be able to manage the intensity of what you actually go through to have that baby so having gone through all of that and then having a positive outcome in the form of your daughter you then went on to have a second baby earlier on this year can you talk about what you did differently that time around than when you think about what you did the first time so when i when we decided to try for another baby i really truly genuinely was in uh, uh the mindset of thinking if i never have another baby i am actually absolutely okay with that i felt very at peace and accepting of our position i felt incredibly grateful that we had matilda um and i just thought you know if this happens again what a huge bonus how lucky would we be so i didn't feel um that sense of of desperation that I had with uh, my first child, I felt uh, that I, I went I went into trying with a very open mindset. So we tried naturally for about ten months because my periods had regulated, and we never discovered another reason why we weren't conceiving. So we thought, well, it's always possible. And everyone tells you, oh, once you've had one, you'll probably get pregnant really easily the next time. So we were like, well, we'll give it a go didn't happen for us um so we decided to rather than just keep trying after about 10 months we were like well we've got some frozen embryos again very fortunately we had some frozen embryos so I just called up my doctor um we had gone privately in the end because with the NHS clinic here in the UK um after I'd been through all of those failed rounds of treatment and then I told them that I wanted to move to IVF they then said well that's a different waiting list you'll need to wait probably for about a year and at that point having already gone through 10 failed rounds I thought I can't wait a year to start IVF so I basically remortgaged my house I just did whatever I could to to go privately and, and have that round of IVF so anyway to come back to where we were with the second baby I just I just called up my doctor I said I think I want to have a, a frozen embryo transfer what's the protocol and um and then and then we went through it and it was really um straightforward and I want to say that with a very you know again we were so very lucky with that that it didn't need a lot of medication because my body had started to do what it was supposed to do anyway. So all I needed to do at that point was to track my ovulation, which worked because I was having periods, tell him when I'd ovulated and we scheduled in the transfer. Um, And unbelievably, it worked again. So it almost was like having a baby naturally for me, (laughs) like (laughs) to compare, you know, to the first time, which was just so, so hard. Um, the second time was was very different, even though it was an IVF transfer, an IVF baby. It, it was a completely different experience, mindset as well as everything else. You had your baby in February this year. And then we went in the UK, we went into lockdown in March. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of having a newborn in lockdown while also caring for yourself and healing from birth 
Do you know, I'm almost welling up here, Lenise, because this is the first time someone's actually, you know, asked me about how how that was. And um, I have to say, it was probably the hardest thing I've ever been through. Um, oh, gosh, it was just so uh, challenging um, because, you know, it was so, so unexpected. It was so unknown. It was so scary. And, you know, after I'd had Matilda which as I said, it was a little bit of a traumatic birth, you know, it didn't really go to plan. And I lost a lot of blood. And, you know, I I physically, I needed um, to go to surgery after I'd um, had her like straight, you know, uh, an hour after I'd had her, I had to go to surgery for two hours without her and be, you know, repaired because I'd had such a damaging birth experience. (laughs) So when I was pregnant with Reggie, I was really, I was, I really didn't know what to do about the birth. And in the end, after a lot of conversations with my midwife team and everything, we decided on a planned C-section. And I, as I said, had birth trauma counselling to help me to sort of come to terms with all of that. So I had this C-section and so when I'd had Reggie, I was recovering from major surgery. Uh, you know, I was postpartum anyway, which was is a very, very overwhelming time. And But what I had put in place because of my experience with Matilda, which I had found really overwhelming becoming a mum after all of that, you know, I'd said to everyone around me, I'd said to my family, I'd said to my friends, I am not leaving my bed for three weeks. You guys can come and help me. I'm going to lie here. I'm going to really try to just you know, take this as easy. I'm going to get all of the help I, I need and I want and all of that. And I, I kind of had a real, I felt really, really lucky that I was going to get another go at kind of that newborn era and that I was just going to try and be really accepting of the broken sleep and I was going to just sink into it. So I was kind of, you know, I was ready. And that first five weeks after he was born, as challenging as they were because having a baby is hard, um, I was also in quite a good you know, headspace. And I was, I had lots of help and my sisters were coming around and my mum was there and my mother-in-law came and, you know, I felt quite held. And then all of a sudden, um, lockdown happened. And I actually remember being over at my neighbor's house because our kids went to nursery, Matilda and her little boy went to nursery together and they were playing after nursery and we were watching the news and they said they were going to close the nursery. Um, and that, you know, there was no mixing with other households. And I, I just thought, how am I going to manage this? You know, Reggie was not sleeping. He was a very refluxy newborn. He was being sick all the time. He had the loudest cry you've ever heard in your life. I mean, people literally commented on it in the hospital. The second he came out, he screamed the place down. Everyone in the in the in theatre said, "Wow, good luck with that." Literally, that's what they said to us, and we were like, "Oh, thanks, oh my god." <laughs> and um, so he was a he was not he was not a relaxed little thing. He was. He was a challenging, challenging newborn. And we were not sleeping. You know, we we really were not sleeping. We we were getting a few hours sleep every night. And then and then all of a sudden, Matilda was there all day, every day. Simon was still supposed to be working at that point. So for the first six weeks, he was still working, um, trying to. And I had to look after Reggie and Matilda 24-7 with no help. And um it was yeah one of the most difficult things I've ever had to get through um so when he was furloughed when Simon was furloughed um that was just the biggest relief ever (laughs) because I had some help you know um and I could at least take a little bit of a rest here and there but still you know as everyone had it was it's been one of the most difficult 
years in living memory, hasn't it? Mm. And we've all had our own, you know, mountains to climb and battles to 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 fight. So that was mine. What I find so interesting about you is you have this incredibly heart heart rending story, and you've been through so much. But then when you when you look at your Instagram, which is how we connected, you never get the sense of everything that you're going through or you've gone through because the work that you do is about supporting other women and being there and offering them guidance through their fertility journey. Talk about how you're able to separate that and why you decided to make that separation. Mm, That's such a good question. So I made that decision. Um, I started my Instagram knowing exactly what I wanted to share and being very, very clear about what I what my mission was on that account. So it was never a kind of personal account that kind of documented my journey and then changed into something else. It began as a support account and it always was going to be. So I always knew that I would never really be sharing like, you know, the intimate detail of what was happening personally for me on a day to day level. But, you know, I, I, I do try and share, um, my life because I believe that that's that is how we connect isn't it that's how we get to know people and I I want people to to know me as a person to understand that you know I'm offering the support through my lived experience and you know they're gonna they're gonna respond to me or not respond to me judging on you know how we get along as 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 people um but when I really started to go okay I'm gonna start not really talking about my life as a mum here because I just don't think it's serving the people that I want to help. And my mission really is to is to find the people who are really, really struggling and to bring them in and to really guide them into a place of peace and acceptance and joy and positivity as well as acceptance of the difficult feelings that they're also going to be having. So that actually, by the time they've finished working with me, and I I actually have just launched my new six-week course, so that's really what that does, is to try to get people into a place where seeing, um, you know, people living lives as parents isn't going to be as damaging and triggering for them because they've come into a much better or more healthy headspace. Um, But I just felt that, you know, sharing the ins and outs of how hard my life was on that page just just wasn't really appropriate. And I didn't feel comfortable doing it, which is why I then set up my other page, which which is my mum account. So I've got my Alice Rose, the mama, where I'm very real and I'm very (laughs) open. And actually, I I got so much support myself um, through sharing that side during lockdown. And that was that was an amazing thing for me to have you know while I was going through that sleepless difficult time um just sharing on on my other page and going I'm really struggling today you know and just having messages from other other women and other mums just going we're here with you you know solidarity we can do this was just amazing so it's kind of nice because I've got my one where I support people but then I also I'm also filling my own cup up you know with the other one and that is so important so talk a little bit more about the work you do. So if, if a listener is hearing this and thinking, I need that support. I'm going through a lot right now. I need I need that support. How how can they get in touch with you? What support have you been able to access that you think would be worth uh, listeners who are going through the same journey accessing? 
So I am a huge advocate of finding the support that you need. And I think that, um, you know, there's loads of different options in terms of support. But if you're looking for a counsellor or a coach, um, the counsellor specifically, you would go to BICA, which is the British International uh, Counselling Association, um, or you would go to Fertility Network UK, or you would go to um, Instagram and you would, you would you, you know, type in the hashtags um, fertility coach, fertility counsellor. And people will will come up. They will you'll be able to find if that's what you want. If you want one to one support, then that's where I would you know recommend that you go. If you're looking for immediate kind of online support, that's where I can help. Um, because what I wanted myself when I was going through this kind of stuff was just kind of things that I could action personally, you know, without having to wait for an appointment or or pay a lot of money for an appointment or make time in my in my day, you know, for that, what I wanted was just to be able to take ownership of what was happening. So that's what I've created for people that I've got my, you know, online mini mindset course, which is just a 10 day, 20 pound option. I've got a five day course for a 10 pounds. I've got my little mini meditation. So I've got for five pounds again, I've got my um, self-compassion for a pregnancy announcement meditation, for example. So I've tried to make them really specific because it's those moments of just being knocked sideways when, you know, a friend of yours announces a pregnancy or a family member or, you know, someone in your life announces something and you feel absolutely on the floor. You feel devastated. You feel I actually put a post together with the words that people sent into me about how it made them feel. And someone was saying it's like being punched in the throat. It's, you know, and it's this physical, visceral, um, incredibly dark feeling and then you layer on top this guilt because you're supposed to be happy and not only are you supposed to be happy you're supposed to be happy immediately that someone tells you so it's a really really tough one so that is a specific little meditation for that and it really helps to just take people out from that place of of guilt and darkness and pain and grief and just to validate how they're feeling and to give them the that gentle but powerful reframe to go do you know what I'm a human being I'm having a really hard time and it really soothes and it really takes them out of that so so yeah so that's the kind of support that I I'm working on and that I offer and, and yeah and, and the six-week course that I've just launched is a group thing so we'll start that soon I, I imagine by the time this goes out that we'll be deep within it but it will run periodically now throughout the year anyone who's interested all the links will be in the show notes so you can access the course if you're interested and go find out more about Alice there what about men men who are going alongside of this with their partners you hear a lot about support for women mm-hmm. what about the men what what can men do who maybe they're suffering in silence or being in the UK stiff stiff upper lipping it yeah <laughs> what can they do so oh this is such a um a huge huge thing and I'm so glad you brought it up because it's um it's something that so I work as well with my uh, business partner Kat and we have an events company called Kat and Alice um well it's events and consulting so we also work with brands and things to try and give patient insights um around fertility so we can help people with fertility policies at work and we help them to um look at their um you know how how fertility is represented in the media I've worked a lot with the BBC in terms of just sharing different stories and things and the events that we run we did run before 2020 <laughs> happened um you know we we were really mindful of this and 
it's really difficult because the first ever event that we ran, which was a full day event, um, lifestyle event, we kind of call them. It's not medical. So we don't really have doctors and, and, and people from clinics there. We, what we do is bring in, you know, life coaches and holistic things and share stories and have panel events and that kind of thing. You know, really make people feel um, relevant and part of, of society because so much you feel sidelined when you haven't got kids, you know, and or you're trying to have a, a second baby and that's not working very easily so we our first event we said it was open to everyone and one man came (laughs) so we realized we had a little bit of a problem because obviously we were speaking to a really you know a a female sort of um skewed audience and that was what was happening with our events so the second one we just said right this one's for women we're going to do something else for men coming up and, and we just had a, a, a about 80 women all came to our next one. And then what we then did for our Christmas party last year, we just said, this is for everybody. And we had loads of men come to that. And it felt amazing to just see everyone coming together in couples or, you know, it, it just felt like a really welcoming normal and I'm doing quotation marks kind of <laughs> thing because it wasn't really a fertility event it was just a you know it was a, it was a it was a party in a really nice um venue in London and it was an opportunity for people to come together as 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 people just going through a similar experience and that was that was really important to us that we recognized that you know men are so very much a part of this too and they're just not um noticed a lot of the time they, they don't they don't even get spoken to directly in appointments sometimes and you know even recently I've done lives with 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 clinics and constantly throughout the the conversation I'm you know they saying and women this and women that and I'm always going yes and the men you know and the men and the men and the men because it just is seen as a female issue and it's absolutely not so what can men do um I think it's this is really hard because they they sort of need to take a little bit of an of, of action themselves in order to engage with the support that's out there. But people are starting to offer more. And there's there's um James Kemsley, I think his name is, um, is a is a coach who is really active in trying to promote the support for men. And there's also been quite a lot of um, new Instagram accounts when it comes to male infertility support. So go and have a look on Instagram, type in, you know, male male support, infertility, whatever it is that you can find with the hashtag. You know, there is a growing Instagram community around that as well. So it, it's there. It needs a little bit more digging out and more spotlight shone on it, but it is there. So everything that you've said, your story, I I know that listeners, there will be listeners who will really connect with what you're saying if you want to leave them with one thing, one little pearl of wisdom to take away, what would you want that to be? I think my go-to is to remember to take things day by day um, because a lot of the time what we do is live in the future and we we get so wrapped up in the anxiety and fear and panic that, you know, what if this never happens or what will I do if that happens? Um, And it's incredibly stressful. So the more that we can work on being present, the more that we can work on taking things, if if it's hour by hour, even, especially when you're in a two week wait, which is when, you know, the time in between ovulation or fertility treatment and finding out whether it's worked, you know, that's such difficult, difficult time for so many people. So the more that we can work on presence, um, the better. So day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute is is what I would leave you with. (laughs) So taking a very yogic approach, being present, being present 
in what's happening to you. Take it minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much, Alice, for sharing your story, for your openness and honesty, and for listeners who want to connect with you on Instagram. Can you just say your handle? This is Alice Rose is my Instagram handle, mm-hmm. which sounds a bit dramatic, but that <laughs> Alice Rose was taken. So yes, this is Alice Rose and my website is thisisalicerose.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.